What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi Flamethrowers, Amir here, and I'm bringing you another special episode of Burn It All Down, centered on the voices of Black women athletes who are navigating this moment, speaking up, showing out, and pushing for change. If you haven't yet checked out the first special episode that was released at the beginning of June, I highly recommend that you check it out. It features 11 interviews with Black women athletes from multiple sports at various levels speaking out about this moment. That episode also seems like eons ago, and in these few short weeks, so much has changed. We have remained committed at Burn It All Down to amplifying these stories of Black women athletes, And to that end, I also recommend that you check out recent episodes that feature interviews that extend and build on this series. In episode 162, Brenda chats with Anita Asante, Chelsea center back and Olympian, about Black Lives Matter and its effect on global football. And most recently, in episode 164, Shireen chatted with the Atlanta Dream's Renee Montgomery about her decision to step away from basketball for the year to focus on activism in Atlanta. This special episode will focus on recent moments of protest, mobilization, and leadership shown by Black women athletes at both the collegiate and professional levels. Later in the episode, I'll chat with two college athletes who are helping to mobilize Black student athletes at their respective campuses. But first, we start with softball. Last week, on June 22nd, pro softball was set to return. The Scrapyard Fast Pitch and the USSA Pride met on the field, ready to kick off a seven-game series that was going to usher in an entire summer of head-to-head matchups. While the players took the field in excitement, unbeknownst to them, the GM of Scrapyard had tweeted a photo of them standing for the national anthem, tagging President Trump along with both teams, in it, with the words, Hey Donald Trump, pro fast pitch being played live, everyone respecting the flag, in capital letters. The response to that tweet was swift. Black players spoke up, refused to play, white teammates stood in solidarity, all 18 members of Scrapyard walked out of the organization, formed their own new team, and ushered in a much-needed conversation about racism in softball. I sat down with Kiki Stokes, one of two black softball players on Scrapyard, and the only black player in the locker room when that tweet was sent. Here's Kiki describing what went down. You know, we're all getting out of the dugout. Um, We had lost the game, so didn't make it any better, but we're, you know, getting out of the dugout. And as we're walking into the locker room, I noticed our media director 
but she was in the bathroom and I could kind of tell that she was crying, but I, I didn't really know what was going on. So I kind of just, you know, let it, let it be for a little bit. And I sat down in my chair um, and I'm looking at my phone and I get a text message from Kelsey Stewart and she, it was the screenshot of the tweet. And immediately I kind of just like froze. Um, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to think. Um, I was trying to comprehend it on my own. And as I sit down, you know, more and more people are coming into the locker room. I was one of the first to come into the locker room. And um, everybody is kind of looking at their phone, like how I looked at my phone. So I said, I, I, so that I know everybody else sees what I'm seeing here. Um, and as the moment just keeps building on, on itself, um, I just broke down. Um, I, I couldn't think of anything else. Um, I just felt betrayed. I felt hurt. Um, and, and then my teammates on top of it are just, you know, they're going in, they are angry. They are fuming, um, talking amongst each other, um, you know, trying to console me and make sure that I'm okay. Um, and not too long after all of us had gotten into the locker room, our coaches came in. So when they came in the locker room, um, our head coach, um, you know, he was in, in tears as well. Of He didn't even know where to start. Um, he apologized to me, um, kept apologizing to me. Everybody was just silent in that moment. It was just very, it was a very, very dark place in that locker room. Um, everybody just, the, the feeling of um, betrayal, of embarrassment, anger, so many just different emotions. While Kiki was in her locker room, friend of the show, AJ Andrews, who played for the other team, the Pride, was leaving the field, heading into her locker room, and learning of the tweet. Uh, we were out on the field, excited, planning on meeting together as a team that night to maybe go eat. And then we get in the locker room, and for me, it was, it was very sudden, because all of a sudden, just one of my teammates just said, did you see the tweet? And I had no idea what she was speaking on. And then as soon as I jump on Twitter, the first person that I saw was Natasha Watley and her response to it. And Natasha Watley is an icon in softball, an Olympian. And she is really the idol for many black softball players because she was one of the first that we truly had to see as a representation, as someone that we felt we could be like playing at the highest level. And she was just completely appalled and upset by what was put out. And so then once I read what was put out by the management for Scrapyard, it was just, it was it just felt like a gut punch. You know, it just really felt like, and, and I can only say this from the perspective of being on the other team, right? I'm not even on the team that this happened to, but just to see that tweet being put out was just so disappointing. And that, you know, especially after the team had put out a statement saying how much they represent and, and appreciate inclusivity and want to hear all voices to then be reduced to just one person's voice and opinion that completely is beside the point and completely misrepresents what Black Lives Matter is about and what kneeling is about and how this movement is truly trying to change the way that people view social justice in this country and reform that. And for someone to truly just ignore how that would affect not just the black athletes but just the opinions of anyone on that team that does not share the same that she decided to 
create this opinion for everyone. You know, it was very, very disappointing. It was, I was infuriated. And in being in that locker room, all I wanted to do was to honestly go check on Kiki because Kelsey Stewart is a, was a part of that team, but she had left. And so I knew that Kiki was the only black athlete in that locker room. And I had been the only black athlete in those locker rooms before. And I had to know that she was in a very peculiar situation and I wanted to be there, but everything was kind of closed off. And in that moment, she was really the only thing that was on my mind. Meanwhile, Kiki and her scrapyard teammates began to talk about what to do. But as we're sitting there, you know, we, we begin to kind of try and talk through um, what our next steps are. Um, at that point, um, my teammates are, you know, Kiki, what do you want to do? And I was very clear with, I, I, I don't know, but I don't want to be here. Um, mm-hmm. I can't play for somebody or an organization that doesn't stand up for me. Um, and that's how I felt in the moment. Um, Monica Abbott had asked if the GM could come in there so that we could talk to her. Kind of sat there in just sheer shock. And she walked in and first thing she started talking about was justifying what she said. And uh, at that moment, it that was when, you know, my teammates started speaking up for me. Um, Monica Abbott, Kat Osterman, Sam Fisher, there was there were so many of um my my teammates that literally just spoke did not let her get out any words um but just the anger was all coming out um and then she started mentioning the all lives matter and that was when I kind of blacked out I don't really remember anything else that she said um because I I just knew she did not understand where I was coming from she did not get it I'm sitting here crying she never apologized to me she never said anything to me she was looking at everybody else but me Um, so she kept talking, kept talking. And then she mentioned being that this was an uncomfortable situation for her. And at that point I walked out, um, Mm. I walked out of the locker room because she, she, she failed me, um, failed my people at that point. And I walked out and I don't know what really was said after I left the locker room, but I know I left the locker room and about two minutes later, everybody else had cleaned out the locker room and were right behind me. You have these people that have these black athletes on their team, but have these hidden agendas and have these opinions that truly are a direct reflection of the oppression and the pain that black, the black athletes on that team have to go through day to day. It doesn't make any sense. And I hope that people understand why I was never impressed by the black boxes. I was never impressed by those idle statements of solidarity because at the end of the day, what exactly are you doing? Anyone can just write up a quick three sentence post, but how are you showing that you really truly want to change something and truly want to move the needle forward? And I hope this is another circumstance like that where you see that there is so much work that needs to be done in softball. There's absolutely no reason all the talent that is out there that our black athletes have in this sport, that there should be one professional athlete on that scrapyard team that is a black woman and has to sit there and really speak for how all black people feel in that. That's not her responsibility. It's not, and it shouldn't be that. And for her to have to feel so isolated and so singled out and to not feel as if she has a voice, uh, to me, that's really upsetting. So um, it was, a very, very powerful moment for me because 
Um, I felt so isolated and I felt so alone. But at the same time, my teammates went to bat for me. They, they, my teammates and, and, and staff and coaches, they all went to bat for me. They didn't let her have the last word. Um, they just followed everything that I wanted to do. Us softball players, we, we play for little to no money at times. And as professionals, it hurts um, to know that we just walked away from our job and something that we love, but at the same time, we, we won't stand for something that, that um, doesn't stand for us. Mm-hmm. So um, being able to walk out and understand that, you know, we, we didn't even know at the time, we might not have even pick up a softball again this summer. Um, but I think we've, we've come together and it just kind of shows that we as women, we can be so powerful um, when we take a stand for things and we stand up for the right things, we can, we can move mountains. And the fact that we all came together in that, that moment um, and we realized that that moment was something bigger and it was, it was more than softball. I mean, I think it was, it was that understanding that I am so much more um, than softball. Um, the things that I can bring to the table go way beyond softball. The, the, the people that I reach, um, the connections that I get to make, um, those are the important parts um, to the game for me. And to be able to just put aside the game in itself to understand that I have so much pride in, in my culture, so much pride in my history of, of my people, um, of just being me. I have so much pride in that. And I, I can step away and know that just because I'm walking away from something that I believe in doesn't mean that I might not get another chance to do something. And for me in that moment, I was just, just feeling really like I matter. I, I matter way too much for, for, for someone to just be able to say this and, and almost like get away with it. So mm-hmm. walking away was, it was, it was like, it was very easy for me in, in that moment because it just, again, it's not like I am, you know, making all of this money and it's not, it's never about the money, but my life just means so much more. Have had, you know, my ups and downs. Um, I've had, you know, times where I feel really empowered and then times where I'm honestly just really sad and, you know, trying to figure out how to cope um, with things. But nonetheless, I, I think it's been an amazing learning experience for myself um, to be able to educate others and um, myself as well. Um, moving forward, um, there's a lot of things in the works right now. We want to play as a unit. We just don't want to play for the Scrapyard Dogs organization. Um, or the GM. When I talked to AJ a few weeks ago for the special episode, one of the points that she made most passionately was compelling white softball players and her teammates to stand up and stand in solidarity. Given the actions of Scrapyard, I asked AJ if this was the type of solidarity that she had envisioned. Right, for me, when I heard what they wanted to do, I was completely in support and I thought that it was extremely commendable. I honestly was quite surprised and not in a sense of where, you know, I'm questioning anyone on that team's character, but I just feel like to have that sort of level of solidarity shown where an entire team decides to walk away due to the misrepresentation, yes, of course, of their own voices, but of just entire, the entirety of 
the fact that black lives should matter a little bit more and this is not about the flag and has never been about the flag um it was very very heartwarming to see you just don't see that all the time in so many different leagues and softball has never really been one of the sports that you would consider being on the forefront of social or racial injustice cause and this moment seems to have really galvanized parts of the softball community in the wake of scrapyard's actions and the tweets support for the team came pouring in for from fellow players from olympians from former players across the spectrum of the sport this has been very applauded by the black softball players I talked to, but they also caution that softball still has a lot of work to do. And I, I'm excited that people are standing up. You know, there's a lot of allyship when it came to the statement being put out. But my challenge to that is, OK, now what's next? You know, like you realize this is an issue. You realize that these black athletes being able to hit a ball was put placed above their right to walk down the street without getting harassed, their right to go to the store without being shot just based off the color of their skin. And you know that's an issue. So now what's next, right? What is it that you are going to do to continue to help move that, continue to force the issue so that anytime anything like this happens, there's four to five black athletes in that locker room and not just one having to take the blunt of it all. And I just hope that our sport can continue to grow in, in diversity and for white counterparts to acknowledge that as well, be able to see, you know, where they lack um, or where they have these biases, um, predetermined biases of what, you know, a softball player should look like. Um, and I hope to see it change at all levels, um, collegiately, professionally, and even at the select level. Um, I'm just hoping that it, it turns for the better. And I think now more than ever, we have the attention of the softball community. And this is where um, we are going to make our biggest impact. If we're moving forward, we're moving forward to educate. We're moving forward to change the course of what softball looks like in this country. Softball is no longer going to be a sport that just sits by and we just say that we are inclusive while you still only have one black athlete on your team what are you doing to change that what are you doing to truly prove that inclusivity what are you doing to try to make sure that these black athletes feel safe on these teams and feel like they have a voice and feel like they can speak um i want little little girls that look like me to be able to um say that this isn't just a white sport um that this is a sport that anybody can play and that i feel comfortable in my shoes i, I don't have to be a slapper I don't have to be fast. I don't have to be an outfielder. Um, I can be anything I want to be um, when it comes to this game. If I work hard enough and um, I put the time in, I can do whatever I want to do. Uh, that's what I wanted to look like for the little girls that look like me because growing up, um, there was just a, a stigma of this is like, if, if you're black, you have to be A, B, and C. Um, and I don't want it to look like that. But this is so much bigger than softball. So much bigger. It's bigger than ball. It's not about that. At the end of the day, it's about the fact that I want to be able to walk outside and not have to worry about if I'm going to be hurt or something's going to happen to me based off the color of my skin more than I want to get on base and get a hit in a game. And if someone can't understand that, if someone can't comprehend that, then I don't really know what it is there is to talk about. Um, I really, really hope that that is what is going to be taken from everything here, that 
no matter what happens, whether you're the only black person on that team, you push forward and you make a difference. Whether you push forward, you make a difference and you bring the next one along. You know, one of my favorite quotes to say is if you're not, if they won't give you a seat at the table, go build your own. Continue to work towards that. We have so much power as athletes, more than we realize. We have so much power in our voice, more than we realize. And if we are able to, and we just understand that and know that we can move that forward, uh, you can truly not only drive change, but you can truly create a movement. And I just want these young black and brown girls to know that, know their power and to see what it is that is happening and taking place right now and know that wherever they are, whether it's little league, travel ball, high school, college, professional, they have the ability and the opportunity to do the same and don't let anyone take your voice or make you feel small. Last night, a week to the day Connie May sent out that ignorant tweet, Kiki Stokes and her teammates took the field again, but not wearing scrap yard. That won't happen. But in a newly formed team, they're calling This Is Us. The teammates wore black jerseys with This Is Us on the front and names of black softball players on the back. For more information about This Is Us, you can check out thisisussoftball.com. There you'll see a video from Kiki. There's a statement from the entire team, information about the athletes, and there's also a link to donate. Any support that you can muster for this team is greatly appreciated as they're, quote, trying to continue to play the game they love while using their platforms to raise awareness, empower young women, and unite the softball community. Connie May's Twitter fingers are not the only ignorant tweets burning athletes into action this week. A Kansas State student and keyboard warriors ignorant racist tweet has inspired K-State players, um, black athletes, to stand together in solidarity and demand the university deal with this incident and other issues of systemic racism at the school. I catch up with Chrissy Carr, women's basketball player at Kansas State, and one of the athletes leading the charge. So I got on Twitter and I looked at the tweet and it was a student that decided to tweet um, congratulations to George Floyd on being one month drug free. And Mm. after it's been a month of his passing and that one struck a little bit closer to home, not only because I'm from Minneapolis, but only because, I mean, if you're just a simple human being that has feelings, you would, you would feel that tweet is being disgusting. Um, you know, just the way that he called out for his mother, the way that he begged for his life in that video. I, I wouldn't say that to anybody, anybody's mother, anybody's brother, anybody's sister. And for me personally, I've lost a sister. So I know how a death in the family feels. And I wouldn't want anybody mocking somebody's death, whether they were hooked to drugs or whether they were hooked to alcohol or whether they just died of natural causes or a freak accident. I wouldn't want anybody mocking it. And so when I saw some athletes starting to take a stance, I saw one football player tweet that he, well, somebody tweeted that athletes were taking a stance. And I was like, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen that yet, but that's great. But they took down their tweets. So I, I texted one of the football players and I was like, hey, just curious. I saw your tweet about how you were not going to play for a university that stands with this and that they need to do something about it. Why did you take it down? And he was like, my uncle told me to. Um, mm. So I went into the gym and I walked up to my dad and I said, you know, I, I think this is something that I need to stand for. 
I have been on the front lines of a lot of protests. I've been on the news talking about this issue. And I, if I'm going to be an activist for this type of movement, then I need to be in it a hundred percent. My dad has always taught me to do things a hundred percent and don't do it 50%, 80%, 99%. You got a full send it. And so I just told him, I said, I refuse to play for a university that will stand for this type of action. And he kind of looked at me, he was like, okay, I mean, I want to know that I support you all the way, but I do feel like you doing it by yourself isn't going to speak that much volumes. I feel like you need to get all athletes on board. So I made a call to Julian Jones. Um, he is kind of the head of running stuff with our black student athletes here at Kansas State University. And I called him and I said, hey, I would like to host a Zoom meeting at one o'clock today. And he was like, all right. He put it together and we got all the athletes on there and we started just talking about it, ranting about it. Um, then we started talking about a statement that we were going to come out with. I went ahead and typed the statement, copied and pasted it onto a Word document, screenshotted it and sent it to all the athletes and every single one posted. I wasn't the only one who posted it. Um, some kids on the football team, well, the majority of the football team posted it. We had soccer posted we had women's basketball um volleyball baseball and everybody started posting it and as soon as that hit everyone was the whole twitter was just going crazy but um you know that's just one thing that we just decided as student athletes that we are held to a standard where we have we're not allowed to tweet certain things that offend people and we have to be super cognizant about our fans and about our student body as a whole, but our student body can't be cognizant of our student athletes. And so we're not gonna stand for a university or put on a jersey for a university that doesn't see how this affects us as well, since we have to be so cognizant of, of our fan base. I do hold the quote more than an athlete really close to my heart because I, I feel like just outside of just being an African-American woman, um, I am a woman with depression. I struggle with anxiety. I am more than just a person who just dribbles basketball every single day. And I'm, I'm more than just the name on the back of my jersey and the name in the front of my jersey. And so I just felt that it was, it was needed to have. I mean, Manhattan, Kansas is such a small town compared to what I'm from originally. I'm from Minneapolis. Um, and so I just felt like that our fans needed to see that and understand that outside of just our little sports bubble that we have here and that we think that everything is just great and just because it doesn't happen in Manhattan doesn't mean that it's not affecting us as students. I am a black woman that you should see my struggles and you should understand them and you should educate yourself on what's going on in this world rather than turning a blind eye to it. I asked Chrissy about some of the internal and external reactions to their statement of solidarity, as well as what she considered the role of the black athlete um, and the power and the kind of possibilities of Black athletic labor solidarity to be in this moment? Yeah, I mean, from a teammate to teammate standpoint, our teammates and a lot of teammates, I mean, football basically stayed on the Zoom call for three hours after mm. we posted the stuff to get their other teammates to post the same thing, to stand with them, not only agree with them, but actually sit out of stuff including kansas state with them and so i thought that was pretty cool to know that they stayed on that zoom call and they were some of the football guys were like yeah some people got cussed out but we all got on the same page that we were going to walk this walk together and i thought that was pretty amazing 
Um, my mm-hmm. my uh, teammates personally, they all have supported us. It's it's hard because we're in a weird time right now where we haven't started any any practice and stuff, and we have a lot of teammates that are halfway across the country due to COVID. But they definitely have shown their support with us. All of the coaches throughout the university have made out a statement that they are 100% in support of what's going on and that they will support us not playing and not practicing until this is resolved. But I do feel like, you know, with COVID and everything like that, it's made the world take a big pause with their life. And it really has opened up everybody's eyes to see what's really, really going on for what it is. And I feel like within that, we needed to take a pause within our athletics and our busy life to really understand how these athletes are being affected. And Mm -hmm. as things are starting to start back up, I mean, what's a better time to take an even bigger pause and an even bigger eye opener than this? Because I know darn well that I would not feel comfortable with that guy who tweeted that out coming to my my sporting event games and nor would I feel comfortable with him going to my fellow student athletes that I consider friends that I consider brothers that I that I consider people that I love and care about I wouldn't feel comfortable with people like him attending our sporting events or any event at Kansas State and I just feel like we have such a big eye on us that they don't want us to speak about these things and they don't want us to speak about mm-hmm. politics and they don't want to but, you know, I just thought that, you know, we could use that against them. We do have such a big eye. We do have such big platforms and people do keep an eye on us a lot. And I mean, when ESPN sent out a notification to everyone's phone, I kept getting screenshots like, Chrissy, you did it. You did it. Mm. Everyone's seeing it. And I'm not going to say that that was a good feeling because it shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't have to put my career on hold and my career on the line and my scholarship on the line for some ignorant person that wants to tweet out a joke about somebody's death. Mm. And I think that, and that goes for a lot of people. I don't feel like our football players, our men's basketball players, any player that puts on a K-State jersey should have to, or any player at all should have to put their life on hold to get people to understand where they're really coming from. You have to think of the people that attend Kansas State too, that are, that are students of color that have to go through this too, that may not have the platform that you have, but would like to feel protected too, and would like to feel heard too. This for you guys, I'm doing this for my children that don't have to grow up in a world that I had to grow up in and had to see this kind of stuff. I'm doing this for my brother. I'm doing this for my father. I'm doing this for my uncles and aunts. I'm doing this for my friends. Honestly, after I've been tweeting a lot of stuff and doing protests and stuff, I've, I see that a lot of things that people can only take shots at are my race and my gender. And I, I just think of that as just, you know, if you feel like that's what you have to use to try to attack me and tear me down, then I'm okay with that. Because you keep reminding me that we aren't where we need to be yet. And I'm just going to keep going. And that's what I would advise everyone to do is just whenever they look at all those nasty posts about women, I don't understand. I don't know WNBA and Oh yeah, please. If you stop playing, the university is going to lose so much money and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, that's okay. If you want to crack those jokes and do all that stuff, but you came across my message. You saw it. 
you probably shared it with other people and those people probably shared it with other people. And at the end of the day, you're still reminding me that we aren't where we need to be. And I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep fighting and I'm just going to keep pushing because I know we're not going to be perfect, but I'm going to try to be damn near as close as perfect as I can. As Chrissy and other K-State students started to mobilize, I wanted to check in with Anna Cockrell from USC. Anna has been on the front lines of leading the charge at the University of Southern California to mobilize black student athletes, and they actually formed an organization for black student athletes on campus. If you need any other indication that Anna is tough as hell, she runs the 400 meter hurdles, which I consider one of the hardest track and field events. Um, And of course, she was our badass woman of the week last week. So I caught up with Anna to talk to her about what it was like to uh, form this organization for black students at USC. Um, So, you know, the catalyst for all of this was the murder of George Floyd. Um, I think, you know, all of us. We've all been aware of Black Lives Matter for a while, but George Floyd, I think it, it's, it just came during this time where we're all at home, sports aren't happening, we're physically distanced from each other, but still trying to be connected. And then, you know, there's this awful, this horrific video. Um, so the track team at USC, we've been talking about it. There are people on the team, some of us have been going out and protesting. And, you know, we were emotional, like a lot of other people. And so I ended up reaching out to our head coach, who's a black woman. And I, and I just said to her, hey, is USC, are we going to hear anything from the administration? Can we expect to hear something? Or is there going to be a post? Or like, what's going on? Because you start seeing like all these corporations making statements, but USC hadn't said anything. And for anybody in like college athletics, you know that they kind of over communicate with you. They send you emails all the time. There's this app called Teamworks. They message us through Teamworks all the time about, you know, anything from practice to a mandatory training to whatever. And so it felt kind of off that there was nothing about the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor Mm -hmm. and that there was just this silence. And, you know, it was very clear that a lot of us were in pain. And so I had been kind of posting some stuff on my Instagram and then some, some black student athletes from other teams were reaching out. And I realized, like, you know, I'm very fortunate to be in track and field because there's a lot of black kids on that on that team. I couldn't imagine what it would be like in a different sport because there are sports at USC where there's one or two black kids. So then I, I talked to my head coach again and she was like, well, let's get a meeting. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So basically I just started DMing everybody on Instagram, whether I knew them very well or not, texting all the black student athletes I knew. And then there's a lot of interest from coaches and administrators as well. So it started as just this open, um, this open forum, and it was a Zoom call for people to just get in and say what they wanted to say and talk about how they felt. And um, as I had been going around and DMing people, I think a lot of us had the same idea about creating some kind of organization, but there had just never been enough energy for it, which is terrible, but that's the reality. Um, so I'm, I'm messaging all these people, and prior to the meeting, there are like two or three different people who said, we need an organization whether it's for black women who are student athletes or black student athletes, black student athletes and allies, we want something. So then we had the meeting and at the end I brought it up. Like, what do you guys think? Some people have said this. Um, a, a woman named Sade from the soccer team was very adamant about it. 
and every it was like unanimous from the people who were there like we need this we want to do it and so we came up with some different names voted on a name and then from then on it's been non-stop um just meeting figuring out who we are as an organization what's our mission what are we striving to do what change do we want to see from usc athletics and then just also trying to be very intentional about aligning ourselves with the existing black organizations at usc because there's a black student assembly there's um, cbcsa which is the center for black cultural student affairs um so we wanted to to really be a part of like this fabric and, and make the statement that, yeah, you know, we're student athletes or whatever, but we're black people first. And we, I think there had been kind of a lack from, from black student athletes, myself included, you know, we weren't as involved as we should have been. And whether that's by accident or by design, because of practice, class, all that kind of stuff. But I think, I think we had been kind of off in our own little athletic bubble for a long time. And this, this really feels like the moment where because we are athletes and because a lot of us have some sort of a platform that the average student might not, um, it feels like a waste to not, to not use it. And it honestly feels, to me, it, I, I feel like it's a betrayal if, I, if we sit by silently and, and don't join with our people and advocate not only for change at USC, but beyond. After forming the United Black Student Athlete Association at USC and an emailed a statement on behalf of the organization that said, we are not student athletes who happen to be black, but black students who happen to be athletes. The statement also outlined 12 specific changes that the UBSAA would like to see from the athletic departments and the university. I really encourage you, it's worth the read to read all of them, but here Anna breaks down just a few points contained in that statement. You got it. Basically, the list of initiatives, um, the first thing on that list, and we didn't put like numbers on it because we didn't want it to seem like one thing was more important than the next. I think we were very intentional about the presentation of it, but the, the first thing that is on that list is we wanted, we wanted the athletic department to state Black Lives Matter, to explicitly say that. And that was kind of directly in reaction to the response that they had had the, the, up until that point. There was like this Instagram post on USC Athletics. And the first, this was the first communication we kind of got from the department following the murder of George Floyd. And it was um, this photoshopped image. It was this image they had used for Martin Luther King Day. Uh, black and white student athletes from different sports photoshopped like they were all kind of had their arms around each other. And then they added the words to the graphic. Um, they added, be the change. And like, we fight on as one or something like that. And for, you know, I, I really can only speak for myself, but a lot of us felt like that was frustrating because what was the point of even posting if you're not going to address the reason we're posting if we're going to just vaguely say be the change so one of the most important things for us was like you know acknowledge what's happening say black lives matter acknowledge that we're in pain so that's something that's actually happened but the other things on that list um one of them is dual uh consideration of black candidates for staff positions in the athletic department um, during this process, we went through all the different departments within athletics. And honestly, it was shocking how many had no black staff or like only one. Um, I mean, especially glaring was sports psychology. There's no, there are no black psychologists in athletics. Um, there's one athletic trainer who's black. There is, in sports information, there's nobody who's black. 
um, and strength and conditioning. There's one um, black strength and conditioning coach, but he only works with football. So it's just like you look around in the department and it's like where, okay, yeah, there's a whole bunch of black student athletes, but where are the black people in leadership positions? And there are some, but not nearly enough. And, and there are too many departments where there's nobody black. Um, so a commitment to considering black candidates and not using the excuse, well, there's nobody qualified because there are, you know, there's black psychologists out there. Um, not using that excuse and then committing to training to training black student athletes who want to get into this field, who've exhausted their eligibility, giving them like some sort of scholarship, endowing a scholarship for people who want to pursue that and letting them rotate into different positions within athletics was really important because not only would that benefit USC, but that's going to benefit everybody who says, oh, well, there's not enough qualified black people for these athletic department positions. Um, some other things we had on there, USC actually has like a form of student athlete government or like student athlete advisory council at USC, it's called Trojan Athletic Senate. Um, and at times, TAS is for short, what we call it, has not felt very representative. And so one of the things we really wanted was TAS needs to restructure and commit to being representative because they are the organization that most directly has the athletic director in the athletic department's ear. And if only certain students from certain sports are getting their voices heard, it's not right. And I think that's evident by the fact that Taz still hasn't said they have an Instagram, but they haven't posted that Black Lives Matter. They haven't made any statements. Um, so you, I, I think it kind of shows where their priorities are and what happens when you don't have anybody have enough Black people in those roles. One other thing that I do want to say is um, we wanted USC to work with um, CBCSA and the Black Alumni Association at USC to endow scholarships for black um, students who aren't athletes. Because, you know, it's, yeah, we're important, whatever, whatever, but it's about the black experience at USC, regardless of if you play sports or not. And I think that that was one of the points that I'm most proud of that we made, because like I said earlier, you know, it's not just about the black student athlete experience, it's about everybody black who's affected by USC, who's involved with the institution. Um, so that's a point that I'm very proud of that we wrote and that we put a lot of time and thought into and that we talked to people from CBCSA and from BSA about just asking how, how can we stand in solidarity with y'all and how can we support y'all? And they were fans of that. So. Anna and I also chatted about the effects of COVID on this moment and the mental health concerns that can arise when you're juggling both concerns about a global pandemic and racial injustice and a burgeoning revolution. Yeah, um, I think the main way the pandemic has affected everything is for like student athletes is time because normally this would be, you know, I'd be coming off of NCAA championships and this would be like Olympic trials and then ideally getting ready for the games. So if this had been a year without a pandemic, my life would have been all track all the time right now. And the people who play fall sports, they would have been, you know, in the thick of their preseason training. So I, I think from a time perspective, like it's, I'm still working out and stuff, but not, it's different when you're working out for a season or for a meet that's not until March versus like, you know, the Olympics. So it, I think it's freed us all up. And I think so many of us are looking for some kind of social connection because we don't get to see a lot of people in person when we're social distancing that I think it improved the relationships in within the organization at USC because it was like, you know, I didn't have to know 
the volleyball girls because I had my track team and I was around them all the time. But now I'm not around them all the time and we get on a Zoom call and I think all of us are more open to forming relationships because I think we're all lacking that right now. Um, but yeah, I, I also think that because of the safety risk and the health risk that coronavirus poses, at least at USC, they're more open to listening to student athletes about it in general because if we come back and you know the protocols aren't properly thought out, that's our lives that are at risk. So I, I think that there's already kind of this idea of, okay, we need to be listening about coronavirus. And then, you know, where the revolution is really kicking into high gear and they're already listening. So it's like, okay, well now you can listen to this too, you know, especially with how COVID-19 has affected the black community in the U.S. Exactly. And that, that was something else we highlighted, like, you know, it's disproportionately affecting our community. So we need to be listened to and we need a black psychologist because there's a lot of psychological pressure on black people right now. I think that, you know, when I first got started with organizing the black student athletes at USC and, and the non-black allies, it was, it, it's, it's always very, very labor intensive, but I wasn't doing a very good job of managing my time and taking care of myself. I was kind of putting almost, it felt like every waking moment into getting stuff together for the org. So the, the first couple of weeks were, it was like all adrenaline energy and it was awesome. But then, you know, eventually it was like, okay, I'm exhausted. And right at that point where I was starting to feel tired was when this really great group of other student athletes came in and they were like, hey, give us some of the labor, give us some of the load. So we were formalizing our leadership structure. Um, tomorrow, actually, we have like our kind of voting process is going to be completed. But it's been, it's been really great. Um, from a, for just a perspective of seeing our, our organization come together, our leadership come together. But it's, it's, you know, it's a constant battle with like, it feels like every time you turn on the news or every time you're on Twitter, it's somebody else's name who's trending or it's some other thing that's happened that's just devastating. Or, you know, Tamir Rice's birthday was the other day. And every time I see a picture of his just like sweet little face, it just breaks my heart. So it's, you know, it's a constant battle to, I guess, stay in a good mental space um, and, and to manage energy and to allow myself to kind of feel all the things I need to feel while still being productive, if that makes sense. And lastly, we talked about it, what it meant to be a black woman, to be a black woman athlete, to be a black woman at college, just existing in the year 2020 in the month of June, which was just felt filled to the brim with misogynoir and just um, exhausting for so many of us. So I wanted to check in with Anna about uh, how she's navigating this moment in sports and just in the world as a black woman. Yeah, um, that's something I think about often. And especially when I think about this moment as a continuation of like, other revolutionary moments, other protest movements. Uh, we talked before we started recording about the 1960s and how college athletes were very involved. And it's funny because I, last year I did my undergrad thesis on, you know, Smith and Carlos and a discourse analysis and all that stuff. And during the courses of my thesis, I had started reading about um, Wyoming Atias, who also ran track and also protested at the games and also was young and in college, but like, you know, her con contribution basically has gotten forgotten. Um, and I, I kind of started doing all that research too late to switch my thesis to her. But for me, when this kind of all this stuff started happening, 
And then so many Black women from USC have been really, really involved with what we're doing at, at SC with UBSAA. It almost feels like, for me, it's like we got to right the wrongs of the past because Black women got denied a seat at the table in white society, and Black women got denied a seat at the table when Black people started creating revolutions because, you know, patriarchy and, and racism combine in an insidious way to uniquely affect Black women. So it, it's something that I think about often and that by, you know, with my actions and, and by really trying to include Black women, letting our, our labor kind of pay homage to the women who came before us who were denied the opportunities. Um, but I guess to answer how it feels, sometimes it's frustrating, you know, because I think as Black women, we get policed in, in many ways. We get policed by white society and by Black men about how we behave, how we talk, I, I, you know, the no name J. Cole thing is like a great example of that, you know? You know? Mm. So it's just, it's just frustrating to be fighting so many battles simultaneously. And a lot of the time, I think it feels like we're the only ones who understand each other. You know, like black men don't totally understand. Some of them get it, but not all white women try, but they don't totally understand. So yeah, I don't know. It, it's a, it's, I, I feel immense pride about being a black woman and standing on the shoulders of black women who, who did the labor in a time that was much harsher to them. But I still feel that frustration of like, you know, how, how do I enter this room? How do I move in this space? How am I, what's the right tone to take so that I'm not ignored, so that I'm not, you know, just written off as like a shrill, angry black woman who's mad at the world for whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, like I said, at the same time, Candace Denny, she plays volleyball at USC. We didn't really know each other at all. And now we text like every day, just as over the course of like creating UBSA and working together. So I'm, I feel, I don't know, I feel very good and very optimistic about the relationships that, that I've formed with other black women in this moment and the support that we've been able to provide for each other and just seeing seeing black women be able to lean on each other makes me feel better when I get frustrated about, you know, the nonsense that we go through. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a beautiful experience, but it's tough. And what, what's gotten me through is like, you know, having a mom who always has told me that I'm a beautiful, brilliant black woman and the relationships I have with black women. But as a black woman, who's also an athlete, it's, you know, it can be frustrating at times to, to fight and feel like nobody's fighting for you. Mm. Yes. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Burn It All Down on Black women, athletes, speaking up, and taking action. I would like to thank Kiki and AJ and Anna and Chrissy for taking the time to speak with me and sharing their stories and for the work that they're doing. Please support them in any way that you can. I'll drop some links of ways to amplify and support the various things that they are working on. And as far as for us, please keep tuning in to Burn It All Down for more stories from Black women athletes and, of course, from around the world of sport. Just a reminder, you'll be able to find show notes and a transcript for this special episode along with all of our other episodes up on our website, burnitalldownpod.com. And of course, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod and on Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. And as always, flamethrowers, burn on, not out. We'll see you soon.